0: Welcome to Drink Beer Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. Troy Casey, the founder and brewer of Casey Brewing and Blending, is here this week, talking about fruits and woods, microbes and time, the glaring attention that comes with being a hype brewer, and how climate change impacts beer. We're able to bring this show each week thanks to the companies that want to support journalism in the beer space. And you can help us too. Learn more by emailing sponsor at beeredge.com. And speaking of that, this episode is brought to you by the World Beer Awards. I'm honored to serve as a co chair of judges for the US portion this year, and we're bringing experienced, fair minded, and engaged judges to Washington, DC later on this summer to blind taste test beers and to hand out medals. The World Beer Awards ensures that each beer is judged both rigorously and fairly to give its best chance in the competition. So if you're a professional brewer, learn more about the competitions and categories and sign up to enter at worldbeerawards.com. Again, check out worldbeerawards.com to learn more and to sign up. Also... A reminder to visit BeerEdge.com. You can sign up for our newsletter. You can catch up with the Beer Edge podcast, and you can go to the merch page, which is filled with This Week in Rauk Beer gear, as well as Defend Pilsner mugs. And as always, This Week in Rauk Beer, join us on Facebook, uh, just search the group name, or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at TWRaukBeer. By now, you might be familiar with Troy Casey and his beer career. After graduating from the University of California at Davis, he took a job with the company then known as Miller Coors, working in their Colorado brewery in the AC Coors division. It was a research and development facility where they would test out various recipes, noodle around with new ones, and see if anything stuck that could eventually be scaled up to the big production brewery. It's a brewer's dream. Great equipment, access to ingredients, and some of the smartest beer science minds at arm's length. It also allowed for some creative license, and while there, he got the idea to brew a Lambic-style ale and assembled it, barreled it, let it sit, also tested it compulsively until it was ready. And it lit a fire in him, and soon enough, he and his wife Emily decided to open up their own brewery where he could embrace sour and wood, and he could really just let the beer style that had captured his heart and mind thrive and grow. The response was immediate, with fans coming from around the country to visit the brewery in western Colorado and lining up by the hundreds at beer festivals. As you'll hear, the brewery has since grown and new styles have joined the mix, but there's still a twinkle in his voice when he talks about the style that started this part of his career. I had the occasion to talk with Troy in the past, and when I saw his name on the list of participating breweries for Wakefest in Miami, the event going to be held this weekend by the Jay Wakefield Brewery, I was hoping to catch up in person. Alas, he has other plans. I'll still be there. But that's where we're going to start, with a look at the festivals and the world's pushing forward amid a pandemic for in-person experiences. He spoke to me from Colorado. Here's our conversation. I was looking at the calendar, and this upcoming weekend seems to be a fairly big one in terms of beer that I don't think we've had in the last two years or so. Wakefest is happening down in... Miami, uh, the Side Project uh, Invitational is happening in St. Louis. Good Word Brewing is doing their Little Beer Festival in Georgia. Um, you're going to be going to St. Louis. You mentioned to before we started recording to do the 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 Side Project Fest. Um, pre-pandemic, let's start there. What was your approach to beer festivals and the ones? that you wanted to do, that you got excited to do, because I imagine you got invited to a lot and you just couldn't go to all of them. So did you have criteria pre-pandemic?
1: Jeez. It's hard to think about that far back, um, <laughs> we, you know, honestly, like a lot of the, criteria, I mean, it was uh,
0: only 19 years ago that right, the, pandemic yeah, started. Like that. Yeah.
1: the uh, you know, it was um, it was the criteria would be if it fit into our schedule. because. Uh, if so, if one of our guys or myself was able to, um, make it happen or, uh, and then if it kind of fit with our brand. Um, so if it was, um, alongside brewers who were also doing specialty sour beers like that, we, um, that's what we were looking for, for sure. So whether it was like sour focused and with some of our um, peers doing the same kind of things.
0: That's, that's interesting. I, I don't know why I would think that brewers would want to stand out um with, with their offerings at, at at a festival but you want it to be alongside like-minded
1: brewers yeah i think so and you know and i think that's a testament to um you know like what we think about our beer in the sense that even if it was around other um, sour brewers that it would still stand out cuz uh, of what we do that's unique whether that's because of the moderate acidity and the drinkability of the beer or uh, on the other end of the spectrum the intense fruiting that we do as well i think that's uh and the complexity that can still come with that so i think we would be able to still stand out even if it was just for a sour beer festival
0: did, did you if you can think back that far and at festivals where there were choice inside of the same category were you it, were you trying to do market research as well like were you trying to see what other people were were doing to Stay true to your own visions to sort of help keep you grounded, or green, gaining con, like consumer feedback um, at those things.
1: I think the biggest thing we saw was especially uh, we so we opened up in 2014, and so yeah. um, you know we I think it, maybe if I'm just gonna you know gun to my head if I said 2016, whenever Weldworks. the Works, show is
0: not that violent, but yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> the uh, whenever Weldworks started coming out with all of their amazing. Um, stouts, you know, that I think was the biggest thing that we would see at festivals. Whereas when we first got into it, the first beer that people wanted to taste were sour beers at, at events, whether it be like, um, the, uh, what was that festival? Like the, uh, Pines for prostate before GABF.
0: Yeah. Um, The Denver rare beer tasting.
1: Yeah, Denver Rare Beer Tasting. The when Crooked Stave had their sour festival during that GABF week. Yeah, I starting
0: remember starting to see
1: the demand and the push for um, people what they wanted to try first was, were those barrel aged stouts, um, and so I think that was uh, that became very apparent very quick around that time.
0: And did did that did you ever have thoughts of like okay, I got to rethink what
1: I'm doing not at that point. Um, but now definitely we've got, uh, we've got, let's just say maybe around 20, um, you know, less than a couple dozen, uh, bourbon barrels filled right now. Um, so nothing on the scale that, uh, some of the the people that are doing it the best in the state are doing, but it's definitely something that we want to have available, um, for our customers, whether that be on draft, uh, at any given time, or, um, a bottle drop here or there to, uh, to some of our, um, like our membership club. So you
0: mentioned that when you're doing you know, barrel aged sours, when you're, when you're thinking about, you know, your, your, your fruit of beers, you talked about, you know, uh, moderate and, uh, easy on the acidity. Um, a lot of those barrel aged stouts, those adjuncted stouts can really be blunt objects that hit you over the head. How have you approached Making those beers? Do do they have you tried to employ a similar approach that you've done to your traditional sours with stouts, or are you just going from the traditional playbook of you know let's go boozy sugary, knock everybody out kind of thing?
1: You know, it's kind of what you know. Even though even though we uh, talking about the 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 moderate acidity, yeah, I would argue that we are we do go crazy with uh, as far as the fruiting level goes, and so. Um, and so there is, uh, for some of the beers that we do, there is that extreme of the fruit, which has, has definitely gained over or increased over time. When we first started making those fruited sour beers, our most intense fruit beers were two, maybe three pounds per gallon, but now we're in that four to five, uh, pound per gallon range. And that's just based on um, what we like, cause uh, we're making those beers to try to showcase the fruit, but it's also what the customers were looking for. Uh, so I think with stouts, we kind of are doing the same thing. We've really only done one release of, a of, a of an adjuncted stout, which had a lot of vanilla for us, but still nothing compared to what I'm hearing, um, of other breweries that are doing. So while the vanilla is apparent, um, and very uh you know in my opinion intense it's definitely um in the eye of the beholder if you will so with our stops we are going for um again we do so little of them so we are going for the uh, on the sweeter side uh i I think the boozy aspect like you mentioned is almost the requirement for these this style of beer from uh from an oxidation standpoint in the barrel for as long as it sits uh as well as a micro um uh, biological aspects so i think that's kind of a in my opinion for a brewery that doesn't pasteurize our stouts it's kind of a non-negotiable if you will are you thinking
0: about next generation of these stouts or where you'd like to see these styles evolve in your own brewery
1: honestly for us it's just the uh fitting into our schedule and being able to um, you bank, you know, store them away for, uh, for as long as we can. So, no, I'm not, we're not thinking too far on it. Again, it's just, it's, you know, we make as many of these beers as we would, uh, you know, it feels like as many, uh, even less than we do um, loggers or IPAs. And so for us, it's kind of just a nice thing to have. We're not trying to significantly um, grow that aspect of, of of our business. Maybe that's what we should be doing. But, uh, at this point, it's just something that we're playing around with. And once we, um, figure out what we, what we like about the beers that we're making ourselves, that's when we can continue to move in that direction as well. So for us, we're so small and, uh, of our, I mean, our production is very small overall, but, um, the, uh, those barrel aged stouts, it's, it's, it's just a drop in the bucket for us. So it's kind of just something nice to have every once in a while.
0: No, you know the pandemic has disrupted everything, but if you look back to 2014 and goals that you had for the brewery and where you are now, how do those square with each other?
1: Yeah, it's uh it's pretty crazy to think. Um, so back then when we started, it was, I was the only full-time employee. Uh, we were only open once a month and. Uh, Cut to 2018, we bought our own brew house. And so uh, we were previously brewing on other people's facilities and uh, making our work with our raw materials. Uh, 2018, we kind of got big enough that uh, it was justifiable to get our own brew house. So we expanded some, we bought some other tanks for fruiting our sour beers. And uh, those are single wall bright tanks that we just use to ferment the fruit before we package it. So with that order knowing that we had our own brew house, I, uh, I bought three, seven barrel, uh, uni tanks for oh. eventually being able to do, um, with, the, with the thought that we would eventually do play around with, um, that's with traditional styles of beer. Uh, and we didn't use them for months, maybe, uh, maybe a year. Uh, close to a year and uh, kind of every day looking at them, wondering what, what are we going to do? What are we going to do, um, <laughs> with these? And then it was really like, all right, if we, if we're going to make these beers and want to sell them in an appropriate amount of time, we really need another tap room. Um, as you might, I think you've been, you've been to our facility before. Yeah. Glenwood. yeah. And so we are right on the river with uh, zero foot traffic. And so for us to be open. Um, as much as we were, we would never really go through any volume of these sour beers. So I started writing a business plan for a second tap room, a uh, second facility. And, uh, lo and behold, it, a space opened up in downtown Glenwood and we got up and running to the public in, uh, around labor day, 2019. So to think about 2014 and 25th to 2019, um, that was a pretty crazy jump. And, uh, for us to be here now, having gone through what we've gone through, having, uh, we've got all, including all of our taproom staff, we probably have about 12 employees right now. So that's pretty crazy. Um, and, uh, sending beer, um, little drops of beer to all over the, um, the the world, uh, which we pivoted to during the pandemic and seeing the demand for um, our beer in in places like China and and, uh, Korea was was very, very crazy. So yeah, it's, uh, it's really nuts to think about um, where we're at here almost uh, a little bit over eight years from when we first signed our lease.
0: I don't know enough about international drops or targeted drops. Um, you know, I, I know brewers talk about it. They 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 see some some virtue in it. Um, what has been the benefit for you? You know, to send beer to Korea, for example.
1: It's uh, like during the pandemic, it was really helpful because we we saw a loss in our. Um, in our top room sales and so to, to offset those with selling a little bit of beer wholesale to those accounts from a financial standpoint was very beneficial Okay, um, but from uh, a brand development standpoint i i think it's uh it's also really critical um i've been thinking a lot about it lately when you think about you know everything what, what's the expression everything that's old is new again sure you know, even, even though we're these um we're very boutique brewery we're, we're a we could you could look at our at our business as a case study, just very similar to um, a lot of other brands, like even big beer brands, um, as they've gone through, you know, g- growing in, as well. So if you think about um Coors Light or no Coors Banquet when Coors was uh, wasn't available, you know, west of the Mississippi or whatever the legend sure. was, how in demand it was. I mean Same Smokey with, and the Bandit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Same with line and Kugels, but the opposite direction in the country, right? and so all these brands that um that start when they're young and they're exciting um they go through uh they go through um uh waves just like um just like we do and so i think it's really good to get into those markets i remember when i was in um grad school at uc davis and then my professor charlie banforth was talking about if there was just a 0.1 increase in beer consumption in china it would equate it would equate to you know x amount of um, millions of barrels of beer yeah. that were sold and just how crazy that was to think about. And, uh, and so it's, it's, you know, it's kind of the same for, for a lot of people. And so it's, we don't do these drops all the time, but, um, at certain times of the year where we are up here, it's very seasonal. Uh, it's really nice to have that in our back pocket, um, to get that beer out there. H-
0: have you seen, aside from the, you know, the immediate financial benefit, has there been any, I don't know, other tangible roi on any of this or any tangible
1: upside to we uh yeah we we have people just just the other day we had some people that drove up from the front range um to come see us at our tap room because they had heard about us from uh from their country of origin and so they wanted to come see it wow. for themselves so they even they went to our tap room which is obviously open to the public our barrel cellar, our original location is, is, uh, is only open for special events right now. And so they cold, basically cold called us at the, at the cellar in a very polite way. Wouldn't take no for an answer, that um, <laughs> they wanted to come. And I, and of course, you know, when they told me their story, I was like, absolutely come on by. I'll I've got a few minutes. I can happily show you around. So, um, you know, it's just from that standpoint, you know, seeing uh, we've seen pictures on Instagram of, uh, at us in a certain market where people were pouring our beer at their wedding. And they were taking these very traditional, um, wedding photos alongside our, our beer, which was really crazy to see. So, um, so just kind of, uh, you know, seeing the importance of, um, of the beer to certain people and certain consumers in those areas has been, uh, something I think that, uh, was kind of, wasn't expected, uh, right away.
0: You mentioned where you are in the state uh and and being seasonal, and that's gotta have its own stressors as well right of if the tourist season is is booming then business is gonna be booming if it's not it's gonna be well you know really scary i i i imagine um and then throw on top of that as before we started recording you're mentioning you know it hasn't just been the pandemic but um also the wildfires in colorado and then mudslides in in, in colorado so there are um climate activities and, and and extreme weather that you have to contend with as well yeah what do you, th- what do you think long term you know i mean pandemics are tough but you know these fires seem to be happening more often and you know these these Really, once you know these century storms that that used to call them now seems to be every, you know, three or four years. Um, have have you started thinking long term of what that means for the brewery?
1: Yeah, I think it's um, and that's from uh, it's just basically pl- assuming, assuming both me- from a mental standpoint and from a business standpoint that that's going to happen. So basically, not counting our eggs until they hatch, kind of thing. Um, yeah. so from managing cash, uh, and, um, budgeting, we're going to, we can't assume we're going to have, uh, a, a rock summer and we've got to assume that something might happen. Um, hopefully it won't, obviously, but we've got to assume and plan for that so that we don't find ourselves in a position where we are assuming we're going to have, um, sales for whatever reason. And so that's the biggest thing I, that we're, that I've been currently doing. Uh, I mean, I don't know what's more important from the mental aspect. So. Knowing that when it happens, there's not a mental breakdown. Knowing that we've got something in place and we can so we can survive it, um, and that comes from planning it from the from the financial things. I think
0: mentally, I mean, that's one of those things that we've been talking about for two years. Certainly because of the pandemic and the and the, and the stress that that causes. Um, how how have you been trying to keep a level head through all of this? <sighs> I don't know. That's a million dollar question. I mean, have you been keeping a level head through all of this? I guess is the better question, but yeah, the more accurate question.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I know I have, and I mean, it's just spending time with the family, um, trying to get out. Like last year, when the, uh, I, thought I could, maybe not last year, when I, it was the fires, or if it was the when the highway was shut down. Regardless, when the when Glenwood Canyon was shut down in the last couple of years, we went uh, fishing with my son and my son's friends to a little reservoir, uh, near our home up here and there was nobody there. And so when that was for obvious reasons, but, uh, so it was enjoyable, um, to be in a place like that where we weren't seeing the crowds. Uh, but at the same time that, um, you know, had other effects that, uh, were not great. So just trying to, uh, stay level-headed, um, get out, enjoy nature. Know that these things are temporary. Know that everybody in our valley is kind of experiencing the same thing and, and going through this. It's not just us. Um, when those when those you know forces of uh, nature occur, um, and so just trying to uh, to to have that experience so that when it happens next year, it's not as big of a of a stressor. Yeah. Um.
0: You use a lot of. Local ingredients in your beers. Uh, I know it's a calling card of yours, but uh, you support a lot of local agriculture. With that weather, in that same weather vein, and uh, uh-huh. uh, I didn't mean it that way, but uh, you know, in, in in that in that same thread of thinking about weather, it's not just your business, but it's the businesses that you work with as well. Um, are are the farmers talking about this? Are they? are they thinking long-term are there, are, are there things that might have to change that could eventually you know,
1: change the industry
0: and change your beers?
1: Um, you know, I haven't heard too much about that. Uh, they, like last year there when the, when the, uh, when the slides happened last year, so they, the farmers, they, most of the ones we work with, they've got some sort of distribution in the front range, whether that be, um, uh, farmers markets or getting their beer to a distributor in the front range. Um, so they've been, they've had to pivot from either moving their beer to someplace else. So maybe up to Wyoming or to Utah, as opposed to going east to the front range. But for the most part, they would just, they found a different route to get to the front range. It's so lucrative for them, um, to have those markets and those stands there, Uh, from a climate change standpoint, the big, a big worry that a lot of those growers have is the water. Uh, and if they're going to be able to get water from the Colorado River yeah. uh, if we're talking about the palisade um growers uh and so that's uh i know that's a, something that um is of concern to them and that's a whole other topic of conversation but i mean it's got to also be a concern to you
0: of access to clean water or just access to water in general
1: yeah i mean it's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely crossed my mind. Um, it's there's in our valley, there's so much, uh, it's such a popular news topic to talk about the Colorado river. Cause it obviously we're so dependent on that water for many reasons. Like you said, from, from a drinking and production standpoint, but also yep. from a tourism and uh recreation standpoint, um, let alone the uh, agriculture aspect. And so, it's something that's discussed up here all the time in the local papers. I don't know if, if the front range sees that too often besides like the big stories that hit about the, the, the dry, the dropping amount of water in the Colorado river basin. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things it's kind of, you know, you gotta, I'm just trying to, there's a lot of things to worry about in the short term. And, and that's definitely a bigger picture thing that it's tough to uh, think about too much on a day-to-day basis. Um, just because of how overwhelming it could be uh, if that were to occur, but yeah, from a generational standpoint, it's definitely something like, would you know, what's this valley going to look like in in 50 years?
0: Yeah. What's exciting to you, ingredient wise, these days? You you go through a lot of fruit. Um, you're using more of it than ever before. It sounds like. Yep. What um, what have you been messing around with recently? Where you've been it, yeah, surprised, pleased, joyful by the results?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the first thing that comes to mind are pears. So we used pears last year for the first time. Um, pears are one of the later fruits to, uh, to mature, in at least in Colorado. And so by the end of the summer, historically, we've uh, kind of ran through the mature barrel stock that we would have. Uh, and we would, you be using the last of that stock for grapes, um, that we would be getting from Palisade. We, we love making grape beers last year. There was a late spring frost that just decimated the Colorado, uh, grape industry. So we were not able to get any Colorado grapes last year. And as a result, we had a little bit of, a uh, beer left over. Uh, we, a grower from Paonia reached out to us and said they had 500 pounds of, of pears uh andrew pears that you can find like you would find at a grocery store okay. this is from one of my favorite growers in the Peonia hotchkiss area and so we said absolutely we would love to we would love to try these uh, and so having never worked with pears before uh it was it was very fun and exciting to see what we could get from them what did you get from them just incre- incredible complexity um we've we, we made two blends with them so we did one that was about a lower fruiting rate so around one pound per gallon uh that beer trying it just reminded me of what the beer our beers were like back in 2014 or 2015 back when the the fruit was almost secondary to the base beer back when the base beer was uh you know even when the beer is fresh it was still the kind of the dominant characteristics of the fruited beer yeah and uh so we got amazing juicy pear flavors Just like you know it's it was in hindsight it's to be expected right like when we make fruit beers i really loved how 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 much the the fruit shines and so it was kind of it was more of the same but it's uh well carbonated and so and it still has a lot of that beer complexity so one of the one of my hesitancies to use pears before was kind of the same hesitancy to use apples um from a cider standpoint people i didn't want people to think that um You know, if they don't like cider or they don't like Perry, that they wouldn't like these beers. And so it's been really fun to see that it is definitely still a beer with those pear flavors. Um, And we did another version, which was about the four pound per gallon uh, pear quality. And that one is just like juicy, juicy pear uh, that I'm really excited about as well. What,
0: when it comes to wood, when it comes to barrels um, and aging, where, where are your preferences as a brewer? Like, what do you look for in barrels that you use?
1: We're always trying to find neutral French oak wine barrels, um, of, of varying sizes. And so I'm not a big fan of vanilla in, uh, in our standard farmhouse sales. We definitely do a lot of barrel aging with, um, specialty spirit barrels. And in those instances we're intentionally trying to get those, uh, uh, very, um, unique and specific barrel character characteristics, but for the most part for our base beers, what we're trying to source neutral French oak wine barrels. So whether those be the standard Bordeaux barrels or the much bigger punch um, we're looking for neutral French oak, um, characteristics. And so we'll go as far as, uh, steaming a barrel when we first get it. Uh, okay. we've got a uh, barrel steamers. Um, and then we'll also, uh, use a pressure washer. To clean the wood to try to get any of the remaining um, wine character or wine stone that was in there that could affect the flavor of the of the beer.
0: The, how, how what's the generational use of barrels when you, you know, after you use them?
1: It could be one time um, or it could be several times. And so now that we have our barrel steamer, we're um, able to get a lot more life out of a barrel because previously, if we would empty a barrel and we couldn't fill it right away, we might turn acidic. And so Mm -hmm. we, uh, would have to dump that barrel a little bit more often, but now we're able to, we're under, we have a lot better control. It's a lot less often we're tasting a barrel that has, um, acidic qualities to it. So sometimes it's one use, maybe, uh, it was something was in the barrel already, but whatever happened, we didn't like the beer. So we'll either, um, dump the beer, uh, or if it's you know so if, if it's a little acidic we might use it in a blend for complexity i love those barrels that are just have a hint of acetic because it brings so much to a blend um, but in that case we would dump the, the barrel after we wouldn't use it again presuming that it was or assuming that it would uh, just get worse and worse over time um, or there's often uh, not often but there's definitely times where a new barrel the base beer didn't turn out for whatever reason and so it's dump the beer dump the barrel as well so uh, but sometimes it could be four or five years. We're using the same, uh, the same barrels, the, the bigger, the barrel, the more life we get out of it because of there's less oxygen ingress in those bigger punch as opposed to the smaller, um, Bordeaux barrel. So we get a little bit more life out of those bigger barrels, which is very fortunate because the complexity that we get from those is just amazing.
0: Have you dialed in on a
1: timing sweet
0: spot that your beers need in the barrels to, to achieve that complexity that you're looking for?
1: No, um, cause it's so, <laughs> it's so seasonal. We, uh, so we have, um, we have a, a heater in our barrel cellar. uh, our barrel cellar in the summer, in the winter, we heat it at 60 or 62. Um, so obviously maturation is gonna, is gonna do a lot, uh, is a lot different compared to the summer when that room can get into the low seventies. Okay. And so based on the size of the barrel, those mature much, a smaller barrel matures much faster than the, um, the bigger barrels. And so really that's where the blending comes into it. We're not, um, what drew me away from what drew me to making these beers was, uh, was the art of the, of blending and the, uh, the magic, if you will, of, of barrel aging, how, uh, little, Uh, control you might have over what happens in those barrels, as opposed to making a lager. If if your yeast pitch is at this level and you've got this much oxygen, it's going to uh, be ready to go in four to six weeks. And if your spec is six weeks, it's always going to be, if you're doing it the correct (laughs) way, it can always be six weeks. Um, What drew me to these is the uncertainty and the the differentiation that can uh, occur in uh, barrel aging beer.
0: Where's your curiosity taking you these days?
1: Raw materials. We've been experimenting, experimenting a lot with different oats, um, different oats in, uh, for one of our oat farmhouse sales and, uh, spelt recently too. So our beers that are made with spelt, it's called ghost note. And, uh, that uses a small proportion of spelt, which not only changes the aroma of the beer, some, something in that spelt is uh, causing our yeast to do something very, uh, very unique. But the body that we get in those spelt beers is, um, and the mouthfeel, the texture, is very interesting as well. Same with oats, but mostly from a aroma standpoint. I don't know if it's the, um, if it's the fat in an oat or the or something that uh, is causing our yeast to make incredibly, like night and day, different um, flavors and aromas, uh, in the resulting beer. Um, and the only thing that's different about those about, uh, that would be the oats. And so seeing what quantity of oats and how that affects the flavors, uh, and the spelt as well has just been incredibly fun. So when we get to do blending sessions and and playing around with all these different uh, uh, beers that we have, some are hoppy, um, some like the spelt and the oats and the different aromas, it's really, really fun and, uh, and invigorating to um, get to play around with those.
0: What, what are some of the, the flavors and aromas that you're getting
1: off of, of the yeasts? Oh, I'm terrible at uh, descriptions <laughs> like that. Um, I would say it's You the, knew the question was coming. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, I hope I mean, you did, but yeah, yeah. You're like,
0: please don't ask. Please don't ask. Yeah.
1: yeah. No, it's, the, uh, it's a lot more fruity. The opiates are a lot more fruity, um, uh, like traditional citrus fruity as opposed to maybe like, uh, the banana, we, uh, our Saison beer often has, um, some strong banana characteristics in my opinion, especially when they're younger. Um, and so it would, the differences, uh, I think would just be the, uh, the, the citrus aspect, um, for those, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm terrible at, uh, at the scriptures and description. Beers. Okay. <laughs> um, My my blending book, if you looked at my blending notebook, it's, it says, I've I've joked about this a lot over the years, but it's, you know, it's my level of, I I can understand what I'm saying, but it's like, this barrel's good. This barrel's really good. (laughs) Like it's, it's really, it's embarrassing, honestly, but that's how it's the It's it's the Casey scale of goodness. Yeah, exactly. Like this barrel gets two stars and this barrel gets a A plus. (laughs) (laughs) There's no, it doesn't make any sense. But to me,
0: we're gonna need the the beer archaeologist to go through your your notes a hundred years from now to try to decipher it all. Yeah, I'll be like what the hell? How
1: is this gonna beer?
0: <laughs> how is this brewery so popular? I I can't make heads or tails of this. Right. Um. Anything else on the raw? I don't want to move away too quickly from that. If you're if you still had other raw ingredients thoughts as as where you're you're being led.
1: No, I think that's really the key right that's now. The like big, I, yeah. I love our, our yeast culture and our, our house culture. Um, so we, we occasionally will play around with something different, but for the most part, we're pretty consistent with that. And so now we're just playing around with time, um, in the barrel and having more barrel stock so that we have more to choose from when it comes time to blend, uh, and then playing around with different ingredients, um, even some hopping, uh, notes as well. So that's really where I've been focused on is is, is changing small things, uh, on the mostly on the hot side of, of it to see what happens after five, six, seven, eight, nine months uh, down the road. So that's, what's been exciting for me. Would it be fair
0: to say that when you launched and in, in your first couple of years, that there was a lot of hype around your brewery?
1: Yeah, I think that would be fair to say for sure.
0: I recall big beers, Belgians, and barley wines one year early when you were uh, just opened and you had the longest line in the place. And next to you at the festival was a long established brewery that at one point had you know, that same sort of hype moniker. And had a, a a fairly well-known and influential brewer um at the table next to yours and people would walk up and, and grab a sample and then walk away but there was no line and it was amazing to me at that point to see the generational shift in beers and beer consumers and what they were what they were going for and i don't, I don't know I even know why i'm hiding it it was tommy arthur and it was lost oh, wow. and um i don't know if you remember this year of the festival you were you were pretty busy
1: Yeah, I mean, I I now that you said it, I think I uh I I I remember I think I remember that for sure.
0: Yeah. And it was just fascinating to see that at one point and you know, five years earlier, the line would have been, you know, for Tommy and Tommy Spears. And it was just fascinating to see this shift. And now that you have been around for for as long as you have, and I know the pandemic has, has, has made it tough in the last two years, but do you still have that same level of rabid fandom and people trying to come in and, and and taste your beers and get face time with you at 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 these festivals when you have gone to them
1: she's i honestly haven't been to one uh, since pre um since pre covid so this will be my first one this this uh first one since covid started this weekend up a side project but um, do you want that uh, I mean, you like I, it? I, yeah, of course, for sure. Any excitement about a brand is obviously very important. Um, and so at the same time, it's just, I think the, I think the culture has really changed a lot, uh, whereas people aren't necessarily traveling as much as they used to, um, for, for these types of events, there's still a lot of people that do obviously, but for the, I think the especially after COVID, um, people started to expect, uh, or, or, or not want to. They were looking for ease of purchase, if you will. And so while yeah. the, 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 for any brewery, not just for me, but while, so while the hype, it's kind of shifted to where it's occurring and a lot of that's occurring online now, I think. So you might not necessarily see it with lines anymore, um, but you're seeing it in other areas of, of the business. So it's definitely changed. Um, and like any brewery, any business, when they're the new kid on the block, there's going to be, um, uh, an, a base, what's the word I would use, uh, unexpected an, an amount of since they're the new kid on the block hype, if you will. Yeah. Um, and then it's really just up to the business to try to maintain that in whatever way that could be. And, and so for us, it's been, um, staying small and true to our roots. Like the biggest thing is we still ferment with, uh, in our open, in our open punch-ins, we haven't expanded. the demand that we had early on we we always wanted to keep it small um, and with a quality focus a lot of sour breweries when they uh, grow they might switch from fermenting in smaller barrels to bigger uh, uh, fooders and that's going to change the flavor Um, and then uh, you know having increasing production is for some reason uh, detracts from customers um, want you know, from, for the beer often. And mm-hmm. so, uh, it's just one of those things we're doing. We want to keep it small. Um, we're, I remember somebody called it a boutique. We're like, a or, uh, what, what did they call it? Like, a um, I'm gonna screw it up, but it's, uh, like a, like a boutique brewery or a, uh, a lifestyle brewery. They call this a lifestyle, a brewery. lifestyle brewery, <laughs> lifestyle brewery in the sense that it, uh, <laughs> we weren't, we weren't trying to be, you know, to, we were, we wanted to, we wanted to have a sustainable business model that worked for us and weren't trying to grow to, uh, to go crazy and, and just be working all the time. We wanted to be able to call off, you know, end of the day early, if we wanted to go hit a powder day or, or hit a nice hatch on the river. Um, and that's been working for us and, uh, and for all of our employees as well. So yeah, it changes over time. It's pretty crazy, but you know, it's just one of those things you got to roll with. It happens to everybody.
0: As you start to think about this weekend and beer festivals being back, pandemic be damned kind of thing, um, there's good sides to beer festivals. There's bad sides to beer festivals. And I know your friends are throwing a lot of these, so you don't want to you know, talk too much at a turn. But um, what would you like to see changed beer festival wise as we have this chance to sort of hit? you know a little bit of a reset button or to try to make things different from what they were before
1: um yeah that's a great great question uh actually i haven't been thinking about the festivals for so long i it's gonna i'll have to dig here for a sec but i think my favorite festivals i've been to are the ones that aren't shoulder to shoulder packed 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 uh and so getting being able to have a beer festival where it's a little bit more laid back. You're not in a constant fear of missing out on something, knowing that you'll get the, get a shot at what you're trying to, what you're really excited for. I really like that. At the same time, that's, I'm, I've never thrown a festival. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure logistically <laughs> that's a very challenging cause you're trying to, you gotta have a budget and figure out how to make it all work. But, um, yeah. you know, the ones that are more relaxed are, are the ones I like. So oftentimes, they would there'd be like the private hour before some festivals that we've been to in the past that didn't JBF, Yeah. Like jbf had that like on the Thursday night session, wasn't it? Um, yeah. f- something like where it's like, it's smaller and more intimate before mm-hmm. the masses get in. And so those kind of things are, are fun where you have a little bit more time to either to talk or to get around the festival to try what you're looking for before the long lines form or, um, beers might run out. What about
0: serving sizes? what's a, what's an appropriate serving size at a beer festival?
1: I think it would depend on how many sample, like how many samples that there might be there. And so, well, I mean, I, for your beers, like what, like what do you think is a good
0: amount where you want people to is, is an ounce enough?
1: Oh, I know. I don't know. <laughs> if, excuse me, if only for, you know, if I may, if only for yeah. the, uh, presentation so even though it's a beer festival you might have a dirty glass but I, I whenever i like to i like to pour more than you might need just to get the foam to just to get the foam to form or to be able to see the color of the beer as opposed to if it's a smaller um, pour it uh, might be harder to see the 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 color of the of the beer that you're looking at and so if those you know very uh, minute details if you will so like whenever i try, a bottle of, of aging beer, I'll pour a full glass. I I might only, I'll usually only take one sip, two, right. two tops, the rest of it gets dumped. So I totally understand if somebody's not going to want to drink two or three ounces of our beer at a beer festival because they're trying to pace themselves, or there's a lot of different beers to try, but I think it's important to at least have the serving size, um, planned for that much, uh, if only for those small, really dumb things that most people don't think about except for for, for uh the brewers maybe yeah um but yeah moderation is is obviously key uh, Oh, of course yeah these beers aren't um you know they're i'm i if i, I haven't been to a in forever so I'm, i don't know what the age group would be for uh for these consumers much more any anymore but um i think most of us as we get older we're not looking to You know feel too bad the next day and so uh, if only from that standpoint um the uh it's the the balance of available beer with the uh serving size should be obviously very very important i
0: i keep having all of these uh uh old guy conversations these days as we're not kidding our you know 40s and 50s and that kind of thing um and not wanting to to feel too wrecked next day um do you think the type of beers that you're making could ever make inroads in the na space
1: uh the uh for the the premise i mean i just don't know enough about the production of of those beers to to have any idea um i just tried a uh an na ipa from untitled art which blew my mind blew my mind how how great it was and uh and so somebody whoever figured out that that method of uh, of uh of creating an na ipa it's it's amazing so i mean i think it could obviously be done i think the biggest thing would be the size of our process it'd be incredibly and from what i limited knowledge about this it would be pretty hard to do based on how small we are and we're not doing uh you know big volumes of uh big batch volumes sure
0: I've been asking folks on the show for, uh, gosh, quite a while now. Um, the setup is uh, at some point during the pandemic, my wife and I were rewatching The Good Place, the the Kristen Bell uh, sitcom, and there's a, a whole premise of the show where you can walk through a green door, and the green door will take you anywhere at any point in time uh, with whoever you wanted, and so. Uh, if such a door existed on this plane of existence and you could finish this conversation and walk through it and be at any pub or any brewery anywhere in the world with anybody that you wanted, where would you want the door to take you, uh, who'd you want to be with and what would you like in your glass?
1: Um, it would probably be, uh, my grandpa. So my grandpa had a, uh, he, he was a small business owner and. He, uh, worked, so he had a, he had a small textile business in Toronto in, uh, I assume that would be around the 1950s, 1960s and seventies. Um, there's not a lot of entrepreneurs in my family. Um, and so I would love to have a beer, whatever, whatever he was drinking. I would love to have a beer with him and, uh, and just kind of talk shop, talk, talk about the highs and the lows of being a, uh, a small business owner. I, I never got to talk to him about that too much when uh, when I knew him in my life. So um, that would be uh, that's what that's that was that was a no brainer when you asked the question. That I thought I think about that a lot. It would be very fun to talk to him. And um, you know if we were if we were talking at similar age similar ages in our life too, I, mean, I, I think about that as well. Um, how much fun it would be to be able to talk to. People, when you're at the same age, kind of like more like friends, as opposed to a grandfather, son, relate or grandfather, grandson uh, relationship and just like peers. Um, yeah. And, and, and uh, that's, so that's what I would do. Whatever he want, whatever he was drinking at the time, probably Molson, um, okay. <laughs> maybe Labatt's, but uh, I, whatever he wanted, I'd love to have a beer with him.
0: Oh, I like that. That's, uh, that's really nice. Thanks for being on the show this week. I appreciate Absolutely you, you taking you the so time much. out of your, your barrel schedules and your upcoming social brew fest calendar, uh, social schedule, but uh, yeah, thanks for doing this. Absolutely. Thank you very much. This is really fun. I, I love the questions and this is great. All right. So tell me what festivals are you going to, or do you have on your schedule? Let me know. You can email me. It's John hall. That's J O H N H O L L at beer edge.com. Or you can get with me on Twitter at John underscore hall. And if you're going to be at Wakefest and you see me walking around, please say hi. Don't forget to check out BeerEdge.com for our This Week in Rauch Beer and Defend Pilsner merch and to follow along on social media at The Beer Edge. Of course, This Week in Rauch Beer is also online. The Facebook group is easy to search. And on Twitter and Instagram, it's at TWRaukBeer. We're able to bring you the show each week thanks to the companies that want to support independent journalism in the beer space. If you would like to learn more about our surprisingly affordable rates, please reach out to sponsor at BeerEdge.com. And speaking of that, this episode is brought to you by the World Beer Awards. I'm honored to serve as a co-chair of judges for the U.S. portion this year, and we're bringing experienced, fair-minded, and engaged judges to Washington, D.C. later on this summer to blind taste test beers and to hand out medals. The World Beer Awards assures that each beer is judged both rigorously and fairly to give its best chance in the competition. If you're a professional brewer, learn more about the competition and categories and sign up to enter at worldbeerawards.com. Again, check out worldbeerawards.com to learn more and to sign up. A reminder, go check out the Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch. Still, this beer has new episodes every Monday and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. On this show, Mitch Weber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed the logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.